In a, uh, in a world of half-truths and fake news, it's difficult to know what to believe at times, isn't it? Much of what we see on the internet appears to be true, often written in such a way that it appears to be very well supported by reputable experts. Sadly, often, however, it is half-truths and fake news. Many people don't know what to believe whilst others are easily swayed and simply go along with the crowd or go along with the minority. Then there's what's called alternative facts. You have your facts whilst another person may decide to have alternative facts that they hold are true. So now facts are no longer agreed proofs, truths or reality. So a fact is no longer a fact. There is also something called illusionary truth effect. Now that that is, the more that we hear something repeated, the more that we are likely to believe it. The more that we hear a statement being made, even it may not be logical or likely, the more that we keep reading it or hearing it, the more likely we are to accept it as being true. On top of all of this, we live in a culture which is a council culture where the pressure, the pressure is upon us to get it right. According to our society, you and I need to get it right. We need to have it right. So if we don't get it right, we don't do it right, we don't say the right things, then we're at risk of being cancelled out by our community. So there's pressure upon us. We therefore think that it's important to have an opinion and, of course, the correct opinion on whatever is current. So under this kind of pressure, we listen to fake news and we might swallow it. At times we too are easily swayed. We're looking at a passage this morning where some people are easily swayed. And we're going to notice the consequences. I mentioned last year that Paul was consistently treated badly by the Jews. And we, we read of that repeatedly. He's, he's treated badly by the Jews, those who are loyal to Judaism. On one occasion, on this occasion in Acts 14, he is stoned almost to death there in Lystra. How does this happen? What, what takes place that people are so upset with Paul that... They're prepared to stone him to death. The story begins in verse 8. In Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth, had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking, and Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up to your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. Last week I mentioned that the seven sons of Sceva were actively looking for opportunities, looking for opportunities to exercise demons. They were chasing after the miraculous. 
This was good for their self-esteem, along with being popular and respected within the community. Paul, however, doesn't do that. Paul is preaching the word. And you repeatedly find, as you read, as Paul goes into a new city or a new town, he goes and he preaches the gospel. He preaches the word. He's teaching in the synagogues. And then, in this instance, he shares the gospel before he heals this man. He doesn't move into a town, look for an opportunity to heal, and then use that as a way of, oh, by the way, let's use this to point to Jesus. Humility is vital. It's necessary in the ways of God. Whereas with the sons of Sceva, the example there is that they're looking for self-promotion, opportunities to extend their own popularity. But what I find surprising here is the degree of adulation that is so quickly heaped on Paul and Barnabas. Verse 11 to 13. When the crowd saw that Paul, what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer them sacrifices or offer sacrifices to them. It's pretty incredible, isn't it? What Paul did was not an everyday occurrence, was not something that the people were... they saw every day. This was extraordinary. In fact, this fellow, Billy, let's call him Billy, had been crippled all of his life and everybody knew that. Everybody knew Billy as the cripple, the lame man. Now with just a few words, Billy is totally healed and he's probably more mobile than most of the other blokes around his age. Nothing like this has ever happened in these backwaters before. Lystra was an inland city or village. It was on the main road linking Ephesus to Antioch, as was her much bigger neighbour, Iconium. But Lystra was rather isolated in that they still retained their own native language. Easily swayed, the people cried out, the gods, Zeus and Hermes, have come down to us in human form. And even the priest of the local temple for Zeus is so impressed, is so happy, he wants in on the action. He doesn't see them as a threat. He brings bulls and flower arrangements to the city gate to offer sacrifices and he's prepared to throw a big party. Let's celebrate, let's worship these gods, Paul and Barnabas, but these gods, Zeus and Hermes. As a hidden motive, there was naturally the thought that if we can keep them happy, if they're they're the gods, then keep them happy, then they'll do more wonderful things 
uh, for us. That's always the way of religion. Doing whatever you think you need to do to keep the gods happy. And if they're happy, then they might bless us as a result. So we'll go to church at Christmas and Easter. We'll give in to the offering, offering reluctantly, but we'll, we'll still put into the offering. We'll even baptise our kids. We'll try not to swear too much. We'll try not to drink too much. We'll try to do anything we have to do to keep the gods happy. And then the gods might keep us happy. That's the way of religion. We can become a little religious in the church too. We need to check our motives at times and we need to ask ourselves, why am I doing what I'm doing? What is it that really drives me? Why do I come to church? Why do I give my tithes? Why do I spend time in prayer? Am I hopeful that I'm doing enough to keep God happy? Am I hoping to keep God happy so then he'll bless me? Religion can creep its way back in and replace relationship that we should have with our Father. And Jesus is our best friend. A fellow by the name of Ovid, he wrote a series of books around 8 AD. It was called Metamorphosis. And this series of books chronicled the history of the world from its creation to its deification of Julius Caesar. So when they decided to call Julius Caesar a god, chronicles the history of the world from creation to that point, comprised over 250 myths. This is written in 8 AD. Imagine the research that needed to go into by this fellow over to write these, these books. Included within it was a myth concerning Lystra and Zermes, sorry, Zermes, Zeus and Hermes. Zermes and Hoos. <laughs> At least you're listening. <laughs> According to this myth, Zeus and Hermes came to visit this area way back in time, went from door to door seeking hospitality only to be turned away time and time and time again. Eventually, an elderly couple took them in. And the next day, according to the myth, Zeus and Hermes took them to the top of a nearby mountain and they watched as the whole valley was flooded and people were killed. The whole valley was wiped out. And then they watched as their humble dwelling was transformed into this great temple with a golden roof. This was the myth concerning Lystra. The people in Lystra are not about to get it wrong this time. 
So even the priest is totally committed to this celebration. They believed a myth. They believed fake news. And they will celebrate this visit from Zeus and Hermes. Now when Paul and Barnabas are told what was planned in a language that they then understood, because initially when it was stated in the Lyconian language, they didn't understand that language. When they finally understood what was planned, they're mortified that the people would consider such a thing. Verse 14. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and they rushed out into the crowd shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in it. He goes on in verse 16. In the past, he, that is God, let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food. He fills your hearts with joy. Even with those words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. They tore their clothes. A sign of grief in any language. And they began to shout, shout out into the crowd that had gathered in in the street. The crowd was so excited, the crowd was exuberant. With all of that noise, Paul and Barnabas have to yell to get their attention. And remember, these people are not Jews. They're Gentiles. They have virtually no knowledge of the Old Testament stories. And so Paul cannot begin with the stories of the Old Testament. In a very limited way, Paul tries to say that God is a living God. He's the living God. That you can have a personal relationship with him, that you can know God as your best friend. He then speaks of creation and then moves on into God's provision for them. He says there's only one God. There is only one God who made everything. You need not worship a multitude of gods. There's only one God and he's responsible for all the good things that you experience. The weather, your crops, the harvest are all a sign of his goodness and his love. And so reluctantly, the people turn from their intended celebration. Verse 19, then, then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stone Paul and drag him outside of the city because they think he's dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and he went back into the city. The next day he and Barnabas left for Derby. The Jews, those who are loyal to Judaism, arrive from Antioch and Iconium, which is where Paul and Barnabas have previously been, and they are intent on destroying Paul's message. The locals then begin to see that 
Paul had not only thrown cold water on their party, but tells them that they too need to stop wasting their time in worshipping all of these other gods. It's like a double whammy. It's like pushing you over and then kicking you while you're down. The Jews from elsewhere were upset with Paul because he told them to stop their traditional style of worshipping God. And here Paul is telling these Gentiles to stop their ways of worship. And so if Paul and Barnabas aren't the gods that we thought they were, then who are they? Imposters? Impersonators? Fraudsters? One sense, how pickle, how pickle. <laughs> I'm having a problem with my words. How fickle, how fickle these people were as they turned from friend to foe. From friend who wanted to, to worship to foe, prepared to kill. How fickle, but no different to the crowds who welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem one week on a donkey, shouting and praising, extolling their worship of God. And then the next, crucify him. No different to many of us, perhaps, easily swayed. And so they stone Paul, they drag him out of the city, thinking that he's dead. Such a transformation, easily swayed. It's human nature to want to avoid anything that brings us trouble. We want to avoid anything that brings trouble. But as Christians, we know that we are meant to live opposed to the ways of the world. And we we too are likely to cop some ridicule and rejection because we live opposed to the ways of the world. We're likely to cop trouble. The journey of the gospel from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth is and was unstoppable. However, it was really uncomfortable. It was more than uncomfortable, as Paul and Barnabas repeatedly experienced It was more than uncomfortable for them personally. It was more than uncomfortable for those who were being challenged by the gospel to leave their traditions. It was uncomfortable. And so their response against Paul is cruel and violent as they seek the best for themselves. They were simply seeking the best for themselves. You see, for a multitude of reasons, people will do whatever they feel is best for them. We will do whatever we feel is best for us at times. The people of Lystra, they treat Paul and Barnabas as though they're gods and then they turn on Paul and try to stone him to death. We too want what's best for us. We're selfish. 
And we do need to test our motives. Years ago, we used to see, this is probably about Jill's age. That's how long ago we're going back. Years ago, we used to see the doctor as the one who may be able to help us. We understood that they might be able to give us something that may be able to alleviate our medical condition. Hopefully, the doctor might be able to help us. Today, we tend to see the doctor as the one who can and should cure us. At least of most things. And by next Tuesday... There's often an underlying subconscious expectation that the medical profession will heal us. And when we experience their failure to cure, we we rip them off the pedestal that we've built for them and we seek to stone them through criticism and complaint. We want what's best for us. And so we're easily swayed into believing for and looking for whatever is best for me. So how do we handle half-truths and fake news? What did Jesus do with Satan? Half-truths. He held firm to the truths within Scripture. He read and pondered over the truth in God's word and he stood firm upon it. So don't believe everything you read or hear unless you're reading God's word. And what you do read or hear, balance it with God's word. Check God's word. And check your motives if we're constantly looking for what is best for me, check your motives. Is my pursuit of what is best for me driving what I want to believe? And then keep calm and trust God. Keep calm and trust God. You've probably seen signs like this. There's a, there's a book, I believe, in Kurong written. that I think that's the picture on the front of it. But in some way, I think it's, they've got it backwards. I think it should be this. Keep trusting in the Lord and his sovereignty and you'll be calm. You'll be at peace. Trust God and you'll remain calm. In a world of half-truths and fake news, alternate facts, cancel culture, God will never lead you astray never lead you astray, but will always keep your heart at peace. Always. So keep close to God. Keep Jesus as your best friend. Amen?